Welcome to Drink This Beer, a show dedicated to craft beer and the people who make it. Each episode, we'll get the stories behind the brews you love. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Hey, and welcome to Drink This Beer. It is a show that talks to the craft brewers that make the stuff you like to drink. And we're going to talk mead, actually, on this episode of Drink This Beer. Pretty excited about that. Drink I'm, this mead. Drink this it's mead, a new exactly. Show. By the way, I'm Aaron Williams. And I am Tim Dennis. And as Aaron mentioned, this is Drink This Beer. This week it is Drink This Mead. We're going to be talking to one of the most renowned meaderies in the United States, Superstition Meadery out of Prescott, Arizona. And joining us today is Carlos Bassetti, and he is the mead magician. How are you doing today? Good. Excellent, excellent. Well, Carlos, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, what is your craft mead story? So uh, I I started as a home brewer. Um, didn't have any professional experience before Superstition Meadery, and uh, they had just opened up uh, their tasting room and production facility, production space uh, in downtown Prescott, and uh, the their their first employee, their tasting room manager. Uh, and I had been friends for a while, known each other, and he knew that I made mead and knew that I was unemployed. Uh, so he gave me a call, and they actually uh, interviewed me for a, a serving position behind the bar. And I brought a bottle of prickly pear mead to the interview, and uh, and I guess they liked it. Now, your, uh, your home brewing, do you do... Uh, just we we found out uh, before we started the interview that your dog's name is Hops, so there's yep. some hops involved there. Do you do beer and mead? Are you strictly a mead man? I well, so I don't make much mead at home anymore because um, it it feels a lot like work. Yeah, right. I want to take a job yeah. home. That's right. Yeah, uh, but I, I still make beer at home. Um, and uh, before I was working at Superstition, I made uh, beer and mead at home. Cool. Now we've seen a lot of uh, craft mead growing up. You know, we're we're here in Atlanta, and uh, we have a new meadery actually opening uh, that just recently opened here. And I believe we, I believe that takes our total up to four. Yeah. So it seems that the the mead business is growing. How have you seen it uh, progress uh, since you joined uh, Superstition? So when I joined Superstition, we were making sixty gallon batches of mead, and we're now making thousand gallon batches of mead. Wow. Um, and we can't keep up with the demand. So it's, it's really taking off. I think more people are finding out about it. Um, you know, as more of these, these small craft meaderies are, are coming up and making a really fantastic product, people are finding out that it's not necessarily sweet. It's not necessarily, you know, sticky and like what they may have had at the Renaissance fair. Mm. And, and they're, they're finding out that it's, you know, it can be a really creative, um, delicious craft beverage like like craft beer or spirits or cocktails, and that it can be part of that culture. Now, you know, Carlos, you mentioned that it's not sticky sweet and all that. Uh, Brian and I actually make mead at, at home. We homebrew and mead and that. But our recipe... I believe you could slice it with a knife and then stand up Just a little about, bit there. Yes. So now I enjoy it, but it's something like you said. I can't drink a glass of this. This is something I drink ice cold, about a cordial size of it. But uh, mm-hmm. there is a huge variety in that. So if you've been introduced to the stuff at the Renaissance Fair, the craft meads out there are a whole different world. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, and and I guess I should say, you know, it, it's it's kind of incorrect to say it's not necessarily sweet. You know, there's there's a there's a huge range. You know, there's there's everything from, you know, five percent dry sparkling meads to to you know like twenty percent, you know, barrel aged decadent sweet meads and everything in between, and um, it's just about finding what you like. You know. So, in terms of keeping up with production, you say you're having trouble with that. Did did I read correctly that you've opened up a second facility? Is is that just for fermenting mead? Is that correct? Yeah. So we we opened a uh, production space. We started producing there in March. Um, so it's a three thousand seven hundred fifty square foot building, and uh, we've filled it up pretty much, uh, and already. Space. That's that's oh, a good wow. problem to have, actually. <laughs> yeah. Time to build the third location. There you go. Yep. <laughs> now, so yeah, we. Uh, sorry. No, go right ahead. Um, and, and so we actually own the land that we built on, and so we have room to build uh, more space there. Cool. Now you know we we here Wine World has terroir, and you know you have your wild ales and all that that really benefit from uh, the location they're in. So, is there a benefit to making mead in Arizona over, say, some other lo- locations? Well, we use all Arizona honey in all our products, so I think that introduces you know a lot of lot of terroir into everything that we make. Um, and we're, we're really fortunate here to have a lot of really good honey. Um, and, you know, a, a lot of our stuff, we're adding crazy flavors and experimenting. But, but when we get to work with a smaller beekeeper and they can, you know, they can't always give us a lot of honey. Uh, you know, in one of our, our large batches, we might use 275 gallons of honey. And these small beekeepers can sometimes give us, you know, 10 or 20 gallons of something really unique. Um, like our Super Bee is made with Arizona ironwood honey. And I, I don't know if that can even be produced outside of Arizona. And so when we get those small batch, really unique honeys, we like to make a traditional mead, you know, and really highlight the uniqueness of that honey and the, and the terroir of Arizona. Do you have greater access to these unique, like small batch meads in Prescott? Versus, you know, if you were in Flagstaff or if you were in Phoenix, is there an advantage to where you're at? I, I was curious about that when I uh, visited that you're not in one of the, the larger cities. Well, the I think the, the main reason we're not in a larger city is that uh, Jeff and Jim, the owners, you know, they moved up to Prescott and um, because they wanted to raise their kids up here and not in Phoenix. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Phoenix, but it's uh, kind of terrible. <laughs> I have. I didn't think it was that bad. It's it's spread out. But you don't live there, though. That's I different. don't live there, <laughs> and yes, I was a tourist. So, um, so so they wanted to move up to Prescott, you know, have kind of more of a small town experience for their kids, and then they kind of just uh, they're they're making a lot of meat at home, really getting into it, and then they they just kind of happened into this uh, relationship with some folks that were running a small winery uh, in a little a little place outside of Prescott here called Skull Valley. And so 
they became friends with them. They, they started helping them make wine. And then they offered to let them start making mead um, at their winery with an alternating proprietorship. So they started doing it there, and then it started taking off, and then they sold their winery, and that's when they moved into downtown Craftkit. So I think it was really just this was where they were living, so this is where this is where it started. Now, with your meads, you have some very, very creative meads and uh, unique ideas that you do there. Kind of, what's your inspiration or your philosophy when it comes to approaching a new mead? Well, um, we take a lot of inspiration from anything that we try. You know, different beers, um, different foods or meals that we've we've had. Uh, I I love to cook, so I, I take a lot of inspiration from you know, uh, different cookbooks and recipes that I make at home. Um, and, you know, sometimes we'll find, just seek out some really crazy new ingredients and then try them. Uh, but really, we're, we're willing to try anything. And if it doesn't work, if it totally fails, you know, we're okay with that because we know that making something great and trying something new, there's always a risk that that it'll fail. But there's also, you know, a potential reward of creating something really incredible. Failure is always an option, right? Yeah, definitely. Carlos Bassetti, he is uh, one of the uh, me, or he is the mead magician from Superstition Meadery in Prescott, Arizona. Now, um, speaking of exotic ingredients, uh, looking at your website, it said you've traveled to Morocco to source saffron for a mead. Is is that the most exotic place you've ever gone for for an ingredient? Um, you know, I, I didn't actually go to Morocco, but uh, Jeff and Jen, the owners, did. Oh, that's that's rough. They should um, they should have brought you. <laughs> yeah, and you know they uh, they did bring back some ingredients from Thailand uh, that we haven't had the opportunity to, to try yet, uh, but we will be doing some with those. And we got some, uh, we started exporting some mead to China, and the folks that we're exporting to uh, sent us some, some tea from China that we're going to be playing with and making some some Chinese tea meads. You know, I could I could see that being being tasty a mead with tea because there's been a a few different tea beers that I've tried and and so far really only one that I cared for. We've got a local brewery that did a uh, a kettle sour with Earl Grey tea in it that was nice. Yeah. But uh, I could see mead uh, accepting a tea pretty well. I'm thinking Southeast Asia. I'm thinking Rambutan. Have you have you have you run in? Are those those white fruits there? The the, the fruit itself is kind of is white and it's sweet, but the outside is like red or Reddish. bright green and like furry mm. or wiry, but uh, I think that would be great. A rambutan mead a with rambutan tea? Or with tea. There you go. Yeah, Are you actually, writing this down, Carlos? Because yeah, Brian's doing, on, doing some on. work for you here, man. So, yeah. But that uh, with, uh, with the meads that you do, like we said, we got a little off track there, getting a little goofy. But uh, So you do a lot of unique things. I had a peanut butter and jelly mead from you recently. What are some of your other more uh, unique and creative meads? Uh, we just did a, a one-off small batch mead for a bar in Phoenix, and we added uh, marshmallow, uh, coffee, cinnamon, nutmeg, and smoke. Okay. Wow. All right. What did you call that? Uh, I don't think we've come up with a name yet. <laughs> That's so a good name for it. I like that. Stay though. tuned, Brian. Stay tuned. I yeah. will think yeah. about that. 
TBD. There you go. There you go. Now, uh, you partnered with uh, Mickler. How did that happen, and uh, what uh, project did you do there? Um, so we did a, a collaboration with Mattower San Diego um, called Blueberry Shuffle. So it's a, a blueberry oat wine, and then they released uh, some non-barrel-aged versions of it, and then they aged it in several different barrels. They aged it in a uh, bourbon barrel. They aged some in uh, some of our blueberry white barrels, and then they aged some in, I believe, some old ale barrels that they had previously used. So now, um, yeah. And we also recently got some, uh, some grape juice, from Denmark, um, from one of Nichols' vineyards, and we'll be making a piment with that, um, a hops piment. So we'll be and using uh, Prescott wildflower honey and uh, Nelson's having hops, and we'll uh, something that we we've just done recently is we made a white piment and hopped it kind of like a uh, a Northeast IPA. So hopped during the fermentation and then heavily dry hopped. And it turned out very, very good. So we're going to kind of treat this one the same way. So do I understand correctly that anywhere there's a, a Mickler bar, your your mead is available either in bottles or in some other form to pour, like around the world. Is that correct? I don't know about that. Uh, I don't think it's available in every bar. I know it's available in, uh, I believe, Taipei and Thailand. Um but I'm not sure about everywhere else. So now uh, you are, uh, yeah, so we'll have to check on that. We'll get our researchers on that, Tim. We'll figure it out. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> they're on it. Our right people now. are on That's it now. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. So, yeah, so, you know, speaking of blueberries and fruits, uh, you're known for your mead, but uh, you also have on Untapped the highest rated cider. How does a meadery dominate the cider world? It's for your blueberry spaceship box blueberry hard cider, by the way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think we're just willing to try crazy different things. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, you know, it's just, it's just really good. Um, I, I don't, I don't really know how it took off. You know, we, we only released bottles for the first time very recently. Um, so, you know, it was only on drafts, mostly in the tasting room before that. That actually sounds like a really good answer to the question. How do you? How does a meadery dominate in the cider world? Because we make a damn good cider. That's how. There you go. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We were lucky enough to have actually one of those bottles uh, a few weeks ago. So it was quite blueberry. That's what I'm. What I'm going to say about that one. It was good. I thought yeah. it was really impressive when I had it. Yeah. And I, I'm looking at your website, and there's a lot of uh, places that say locations coming soon. So I'm guessing that ties back into uh, not 100% sure exactly where the mead's being poured, but it could be in any place from China to Denmark to Japan to Singapore to Taiwan or to Thailand. Actually, Thailand for sure and Denmark for sure. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. Cool. Yeah, you're gonna make you're gonna make uh, make uh, larger buildings there to uh, store his mead. I think we just can keep mm-hmm. distributing and get, getting more and more and more exciting. Now, Carlos, you guys just very recently had uh, Barry White Day, and uh, there was a lot of buzz on the Internet uh, when it released online. So uh, tell us about what Barry White Day is and uh, kind of how that went for you. So Barry White Day is kind of our biggest event of the year. 
uh, when we released the white series. So berry white, blackberry white, blueberry white, and strawberry white. Uh, you know, four really kind of decadent dessert meads, uh, fruit and white chocolate aged in oak with vanilla. And berry white day is kind of a day to celebrate that um, and release it to the public. And it, it's become bigger and bigger every year we've done it. The first year we did it, we just did it in our tasting room and we had, you know, people waiting in line outside. Um, and we realized we're gonna have to make more of this stuff and we're gonna have to have a bigger venue. And we've just been increasing the size every year. And uh, it's kind of an opportunity for people to come and pick up bottles and try everything, you know, on tap without having to open their own bottles. And we have a bunch of other really unique uh, one-off meads. Kind of, we want to showcase the best of what we think we've done throughout the year. Um, so this year we had uh, 16 taps, eight of which were the white series, eight of which were other meads. And then we were pouring bottles. And during our VIP session, we pulled out uh, a lot of older uh, reserve meads that we poured for all the VIP folks, which is really fun to get to to taste those again. Now, I have a question that, uh, to, to put it as delicately as I can, Uh-oh. I noticed that Barry White is a very premium product as in it's it was it was uh the price was considerably more than some of your other meads and we were curious here we're very sure there's a there's a reason that is so is there something in the process or the quality of ingredients that you do that kind of drives that one up into a more premium uh price point yeah so so we use a ton of fruit in this one a ton of vanilla um and it ages in barrels for a very long time and um you know, barrels take up space, space that can't be taken up by, you know, uh, fermenters or uh, other storage space. So we have to charge a little more for things that are barrel aged, um, also because, you know, the cost of the barrels and the all the extra work that goes into barrel aging. Um, you know, you'd be, you'd be surprised uh, when you start to get up to like 70 barrels how much work it is to manage all those. I would think, um, yeah, just to move them all around or anything like that and just uh, make sure everything's inventory correctly and tasting them all. That would be – it's tough work. Someone's got to do it, though. So what, was that <laughs> Tunisian of vanilla? I think I saw that mentioned as one of the exotic ingredients that goes into the various meads you make, uh, the Moroccan saffron and Tahitian vanilla, two of them. Yeah, so Tahitian vanilla we use in our uh, Tahitian honeymoon mead. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I don't know if you all are familiar, but – there was a, um, a hurricane or, or some sort of storm that wiped out about 70, 75% of the world's vanilla supply. Hmm. Uh, so it's actually been very hard to source those beans. Um, we've, we've been able to continue making it, but uh, we're hoping, uh, but, but vanilla has become very expensive really recently. It used to be about you know, $70 for a pound of vanilla. And it's gone up to about four hundred dollars a pound. Wow! I didn't realize that. That's amazing. Okay. 
That's the vanilla I market. Know. I'm going to buy some vanilla futures and see. Uh, Serious. Take them on the wow, wrong way there. So. All those people that are like, buy gold. Yes. Like, no, buy, I'm buying buy vanilla. vanilla. <laughs> so, Carlos, if people want to keep up with Superstition Meadery, what's going on at the at the meadery and all that, what's the best way for people to do that? Um, following in our social media accounts, uh, uh, Instagram and Facebook are really the best ways. We have uh, you know, our main account on Instagram, Superstition Meadery. We also have... Uh, uh, production account, Superstition Production, and that's where we kind of try to go behind the scenes a little bit, you know, the day-to-day process and um, try to catch each other looking stupid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. Carlos Bassetti uh, from Superstition Meadery, thanks so much for joining us on Drink This Beer. Appreciate it. No problem. Absolutely. And uh, if you want to check out more Drink This Beer, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And also follow us We're the beer guys on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. In the meantime, have a great one and check us out next time. Don't forget, drink local. Thanks for listening to Drink This Beer. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. More beer stories? Head to beerguysradio.com. Follow the beer guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Want more craft beer news? Listen to the Beer Guys Radio Show, available every Saturday morning. Drink This Beer, produced and developed by Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams, part of the Beer Guys Media Radio Network, beerguysradio.com.